Hello, this is Joe and TJ, and we are the Schoolhouse 302, and we want to welcome you back to Focus Ed for Season 4. We are truly excited. Focus Ed is a collaborative project with the University of Delaware, the Delaware Department of Education, and the two of us, Joe and TJ, at the Schoolhouse 302. TJ, tell our audience a bit more about Focus Ed. Absolutely. Focus Ed is a podcast that gets recorded with a live audience. We do 14 episodes every season. We're in season four, but you can find season one, two, and three on our site at theschoolhouse302.com. It's a professional development experience for anyone who wants to attend, and then we blast it out from our site. We interview great leaders, authors of popular books, and experts in teaching, learning, and leading so that you can lead better and grow faster in your school or district. Thank you for listening to Focus Ed, and we hope you'll join us live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Focus Ed. Each episode of Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us. And this episode, we are thrilled to have Elizabeth Jorgensen. Thank you for joining us today, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Our focus is on Elizabeth's book, Hacking Student Learning Habits. What an incredible topic, specifically how school leaders can help teachers develop resilient learners in the classroom. TJ, tell our audience a bit more about Elizabeth. Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Elizabeth Jorgensen has been published in many popular journals, including the English Journal, Edutopia, Teachers and Writers Magazine, Azalea Journal of Korean Literature and Culture. We got to ask some questions about that. Brevity, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Writers Who Care, Ohio Journal of English Language Arts, Wisconsin English Journal, Skinny Poetry Journal, and Gyroscope Review, and more. Her book on process-based assessment, Hacking Student Learning Habits, which we're going to talk about tonight, was published by Times 10 Publication in 2022. And her most recent book was released in October 2022, Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete, which was written to help young people follow a dream and to focus on the process and what I understand about learning to have heroes in your life, which is really cool. She's presented for the National Council of Teachers of English, National Council for Social Studies, Wisconsin State Reading Association, Wisconsin's Writers Association, East Asian Studies Center at Indiana University, the Ohio Council of Teachers of English of Language Arts, and the Illinois Reading Council, among others. She's an award-winning writer and teacher and sought-after speaker. I'm going to name a few of these accolades. She was named one of 20 of America's most inspiring educators with an award called the Henry Ford's Innovation National Teacher Innovator. She has been the Arrowhead Union High School Teacher of the Year, the graduate of the last decade from Carroll University, the Lucille S. Pooley Award winner for successful techniques in teaching composition in the schools of Wisconsin, the Jarvis E. Bush winner from the Wisconsin Council of Teachers of English and the recipient of the PBS Innovative Educator Award. That's a mouthful, Elizabeth. And you can learn more on her website, which we'll link to lizjorgensen.weebly.com. All right. Like Joe said, we're going to dive in. You wrote a book called Hacking Student Learning Habits, which is really about developing resilient learners and how to assess process, which you say assess process versus outcomes. Let's start simple. Why'd you write the book? 
And what drove you to that topic for Times 10 publication? Yeah, Mark Barnes, the publisher, he actually found me on Facebook and he said he'd read some of the articles that I had published in some of those magazines and journals that you had referenced. And he thought I had a book and I wasn't convinced. I'd written some other books and I just wasn't quite sure, but Mark really said, no, what you're doing here should be shared with other people. And so he encouraged me and set me up with an editor and we worked through the nine different chapters and put it out. And I'm really grateful that he did, that he found me and that he gave me the opportunity to share what I'm doing alongside quite a few of my colleagues at my school. It's made my job so much more enjoyable. And I've seen kids just thrive and really begin to love school and learning in a different way through focusing on the process and not the outcome. Elizabeth, to dig into this book a little bit more, what are some major ideas, themes, or topics that you want readers to walk away with? The idea of resiliency obviously is powerful in a post-COVID world needed more than ever. But what are those things as the author you want readers to walk away with? One of my favorite chapters is the one about authentic purpose for the work. So I teach English. I have creative writing classes primarily. And everything that we do in class, we send off to a writer's market. I tell my students that we're going to practice what it means to be a professional writer. And so that means we write and then we share it with the world. The work does not stay inside of our classroom walls. And that becomes motivation for the students. It gives them a purpose beyond the grade. You know, I tell my students, I did not become a teacher to grade. And in fact, that's like my least favorite part of my job. If we could never talk about a grade ever, I would be so happy. What I want to talk about is the work. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? How can we make progress? What can I do to assist? What can your classmates do to assist? And then having that authentic purpose gives us a deadline. Okay, so let's say we're writing a poem for a poetry competition. We have to get it sent off by that date. And so we're working together towards that goal. And so I give a whole bunch of examples of authentic learning opportunities for students in elementary, middle, high school, and then all of these different content areas as well. I just think that that's so important for our students so that they can answer the question, why am I doing this? Yeah, so you talk about English. You're an English teacher. I was an English teacher. I'm sure we could geek out on that for a little while if we wanted to. But I wonder what you would say to some of the other content areas. You just mentioned that, yes, we're publishing for a purpose. Yes, we want to make sure we have an authentic audience. That seems great for ELA teachers. But what if you're a math teacher and you're kind of shrugging your shoulders thinking, well, my kids aren't publishing math problems for a journal. And I know your kids have won awards with their publications. But what do you say to the other content areas? Yeah, I mean, tons of different examples. There's one in here all about math. And this teacher created Project Reality, and she set her kids up with a budget, and it was real. And they had to figure out, okay, if I'm going to have this job, here's how much I'm going to make. And then I want to live in this area of town. Here's how much it costs to live in this condo. And then, oh yeah, there's condo fees. And oh, does the condo pay for water? And do they pay for heat? And you know, all of those things she really laid out for her students. And it was the process of, can I live on this income? And there were different ways that they could earn money or 
that money was taken away. But, you know, there's ways that teachers can do that in different content areas. I'm thinking of one of the business teachers I know. They host like marketing nights at basketball games and they organize giveaways and they call in mascots from all of these teams in our area and they raise money for a charity. I'm thinking our foods class, they have like a food truck that sells different items at lunch. They also do like cook-offs. And so they ask teachers to come and taste chili and then rank the chili. You know, so I think you know your content area best. You also know what would motivate your students, what they would be interested in. And then talking to colleagues. I'm thinking my band teacher at school, he had his students play a Korean song And he knows that I specialize in Korean poetry. And so he called me and he just said, what can we do? How can we get together to do something authentic for my students? And so I came in and talked to his band kids about Korean poetry. They all wrote poems. And then he selected his favorites and he put them in the program so that parents waiting for the band concert to begin could see some poems and learn as well about this Korean poetry form. Elizabeth, I want to bring to light a couple of things that I think I hear you saying. One is the intersection, and it reminds me of powerful work I was drawn to well over a decade ago by Bill Daggett, and that's rigor and relevance. Like if we can make our classrooms rigorous, but they have to be relevant. And that's where we get into that quadrant of assimilation and students can really start to perform. And we don't want them completing tasks, but performing. So I heard that I love the cross-collaboration as coming from a career and technical education district. The cross-collaboration, I think, is something that we would love to do more of and better. But if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind just stepping to the side a little bit. Can you just get into the Korean poetry a little bit? Because I'm just intrigued. I got to know more about that. I really don't follow you, if I'm being totally honest. Like, what does that mean? When you're saying you're an expert in that, I'm (laughs) sure that brings a whole new dimension in life to your classroom. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about that? Sure. I learned about Shijo, and it's written S-I-J-O, pronounced Shijo, a little over a decade ago. And I found this form of poetry because there was an organization, the Shijong Cultural Society. It's a nonprofit out of Chicago they were hosting a Shijo competition. And I'm always looking for these authentic purposes for my students' work. And I didn't know what it was, but I scoured their website and they had a bunch of resources and I just taught myself the poetry form. And then I shared it with my students and I was really honest with them. And I said, I've never heard of this before. I'm an English teacher and I haven't heard of this poetry form before, but let's learn it together. And of course the students, they appreciate that vulnerability and I'm learning something too for the first time alongside my teacher. And so we did this for probably two years, sent off our poems to the competition and I had some success. I had some students who were runners up and some winners and the people then at the Shejong Cultural Society reached out to me and they said, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, honestly, I'm just doing the best I can. And they said, no, whatever you're doing is working. And we noticed that your students' submissions are just really, really of a great quality. And so they asked if they could come to my high school and record me teaching this Korean form of poetry. And they've just set me up with experts who have then taught me, have mentored me, have taught me a lot. And then actually, we just came out with a book, Shijo, Korea's Poetry Form. 
And so if any educators are interested learning about it, we're giving away complimentary copies of the book. And so you can just email me and I can mail you a copy. But we're finding that a lot of social studies teachers are having success with this poetry form. It's the best way to describe it, I guess, is haiku's cousin. Haiku is a three-line poetic form out of Japan structured by syllables. Shijo is the same. It's a three-line poetic form structured by syllables, but it's out of Korea. And a haiku has 17 syllables. Shijo has 44, 45, or 46 syllables. So you have a little bit more room to play with. So I've fallen in love with the form. There's a few of us in the country now who specialize in the form and who are trying to spread the word and make it as ubiquitous in American classrooms as haiku is. That's a fantastic yeah. story. And it's awesome to hear too, how you connected that to your love of learning, the poetry, bringing that into the classroom. It's just, that is about the authenticity. And I think any teacher in any content area could do something similar to learn something new, to do that in a vulnerable way in front of their students. And again, you could do that if you're a culinary arts teacher, like you said, a social studies teacher, teacher of any content area could explore part of their passion, bring it into the classroom. I'm sure kids connected to that. We have a live audience here tonight. I think we're going to maybe practice writing Cicho poems later. We'll submit them to you as our authentic audience and get feedback. There's a national competition for adults and there's a thousand dollar first place prize. So we could even then submit those poems and see what happens in the competition. And, you know, I tell my students too how I got into Shijo, saying to them that I didn't know the outcome when I began. All I was trying to do is give them an opportunity and to do the best I could in that moment. And then how it just kind of snowballed. I was then at a conference, then I published an article, then I did another article, then I met this other expert, then they mentored me. And then it unfolds into a book. And I never could have known that at the beginning. But just by focusing on the process, we're opening ourselves up to all of these experiences that we could never even imagine for ourselves. But when we put in that daily work, when we just today come in and do the best I can today, the outcomes will be there. Like they will follow. It's definitely inspirational. I feel it. And I know the listeners are going to get a ton from that. And we've just created our own authentic assessment while we've been on this podcast in a, just a short period of time. I also want to ask a question about your other new book, just because it's multifaceted here, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete. Connect that to heroes for the listeners. And I know we're a little bit off topic of a hacking student learning, but I think it all has to do with connecting to kids and making sure that their passions are clear in the classroom. Tell us about the hero part of that and what that can mean for kids in the classroom and maybe even what school leaders could really instill in their teachers. I think we know that it's so important for kids to see themselves in the models that we're showing, right? It allows them to say, oh, that person who looks like me, who from my same area, they did it. And so I can too. And my sister, Gwen Jorgensen, won the gold medal in the Rio Olympics in the triathlon. And triathlon is where you swim and then you bike and then you run. She really is passionate about inspiring young people to set goals to have big dreams and then to follow those and to really have like an outline process that will help them achieve whatever they want to achieve, be that athletic or academic or personal or whatever it might be. We were all looking at the middle grade nonfiction texts that are available for kids. And what we found is that there aren't that many that are about female athletes. There are quite a few about 
male athletes, but not so many about females. And so we just felt like there was this hole in the market and we wanted to inspire young people, especially young girls to say, you know, here's a book that hopefully you can see yourself. And my sister was never a state champion. She was never on the USA team when she was in high school. She was like the worst swimmer on the University of Wisconsin-Madison team. And yet she ends up winning the gold medal. And so we hope that young women will see themselves in it and then be inspired to have a hero that maybe is like themselves. It's powerful. I look forward to connecting with that book as well. I love triathlons. We won't go down that road. It's been quite a while since I've done one, but I will say if you ever want to test yourself and your abilities just as a human being, where you can go, I'm sure Gwen could speak to that. So maybe we have to have Gwen on the show at some point as well. That would be awesome. Yeah, she just announced her return to triathlon. She was trying running for a while, but now she's going to try to go to Paris in the, the 2024 Olympics. So fingers crossed. To her. I'm the only person I know that watches triathlon on TV. It's not that popular, but it's incredible. Anyway, we'll continue. TJ mentioned quickly about school leaders. And I love the fact that you guys dissected what could be missing. And here's, you know, something we could do, write about and give hope. A lot of what we talked about with our participants within the induction program is on, you know, really having equitable access for students. And that means like two resources. But Elizabeth, when you're talking and you're reaching out, do you have any advice for administrators on how they can build a culture that really supports what you're describing here, supporting the work that you've done. I think that's important because really it goes back to law of the lid and that leader can really encourage and really discourage. Can you speak to that a little bit? What can a leader do to support really the efforts of an Elizabeth Jorgensen and her class and really broaden students' horizons beyond what a lot of classrooms see and do? When we were in the infancy stages of process-based assessment, we knew that rubrics weren't working for us. They were this like bland blueprint for students. Students were relying on them. They were stifling creativity. And we just knew as writing teachers, we wanted to get away from rubrics and we wanted kids to focus on, try something new, take a risk collaborate. But what would that look like? And so we sat down with our administrators, our director of curriculum, our associate principal, our principal, our superintendent. And what they did is they connected us. They said, what you're talking about sounds a lot like what Anthony Christian is doing in metals fabrication. And I had no idea. I had no idea that this person in my same building was doing something similar to what I wanted to do in a metals fabrication class. And so they then said, well, go talk to him. And then they fostered this relationship and then they gave us time. They said, take these few hours and just connect and talk about what he's doing, what his advice is. He's gone down this road before. What's he calling it? What were his pitfalls? If he could do it over, how would he do it differently? They gave us some language to get these conversations going. And then they followed up. How did it go? <laughs> what happened? And to me, that was one of the most powerful experiences that I had been in that building for 15 years. And I had no idea, but my administrators knew because they're in those classrooms when I'm not. I think that's an incredible piece of advice for the people in the room, anybody listening, to be the glue, be the connector. 
know what's happening in each room and then connect teachers on a particular topic, a particular subject matter, and then allow them to take a risk. I mean, I think that's fantastic advice. And it's everybody has that right at their fingertips. All we need to do is put the right people in the room. And teaching is such an isolated profession. We're all doing it most of the time with the door shut. And we need to be able to open up and eliminate some of those walls. I want to go in just a little bit different of a direction as we're coming to a close here with a couple of questions that our audience loves and gets a lot from. If you could talk about your go-to resources. So we talked about your books. We talked about some of the things that you've studied and some of the paths that you've gone down. For teaching, learning, leading, what are your go-to resources that you would say, if you're not already into this or at this site, pick it up give it a read, a journal that you subscribe to, anything that our leaders in particular, our listeners could dive into? Man, I love Twitter. I just feel like there's such cool people on Twitter and I have my algorithm working for me. It's positive. You know, it just knows what I want to see. But I think it's also like those relationships that you have. My mom was an educator for 30 plus years and she is the person that I go to and just say, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And she then will help me process ideas and just brainstorm and work through. We all have those people in our lives, right? Our significant others, our family members, a coworker, relying on them. I found that relationships are huge, right? I had it with the Korean poetry, but also with parents. I have a student right now whose mom is a writer. And I reached out to her at the beginning of the semester and just kind of said, you know, I follow you on social media. I've seen you've published some stuff. I'm really inspired by your work. Keep me in mind if you see anything that you would think would be cool for my students. And she did. And throughout the semester, she would just like send me stuff. And sometimes I would be so overwhelmed. I would just say, I can't even look at this email now. Give me a few weeks. But just a few weeks ago, she posted something about ekphrastic poetry, which I don't know if we know what that is, but it's a verbal representation of a visual representation. So it's basically writing about art. And there's this literary journal called the Ekphrastic Review. And this parent said to me, you might want to look at it. And so I did. And I reached out to the editor and the editor said, we'd love to do a collaboration with your class. So what basically unfolded is 21 of my students are now published in the Ekphrastic Review. And it's just like these little things that you don't know where they're going to end up. But fostering those relationships, developing those relationships, to me, that always is fruitful, not only for myself as a professional, but also ultimately my students. You know, Elizabeth, a few of the things you're saying are incredibly powerful. I want to just take a second too and compliment you. A lot of it is your passion for what you're like discussing, taught your kids. That is real. And it comes through. So I want to mention that. I don't know how often you hear that, but I have to say it to you. I mean, we're on Zoom. I feel like we're in the same room together. So I appreciate that. And I know our audience does. But there are some things you're doing that I think need to be clearly marked. One, you take risks. Just reaching out to a parent and admitting, like, I don't know all this. Like, you obviously have a niche here. That's taking a risk. We have to take more risks. Make the call. Just make the call. You know, what do you got to lose? But a lot of times it's very hard to do that because, you know, there's FOMO, but there's also that idea of like fear of what people think of us, right? Like the other people's opinions. We got FOPO. And then there's, you know, ask questions. So I really appreciate that. I want to talk to you, Elizabeth, three years from now, five years from now, what does that look like for you in your classroom, for your students? I mean, you're making, I would title it really a 360 degree impact. 
yes, like your books are getting published, people are reading them and you're stretching and influence people nationwide, if not internationally, but you're getting your kids published. Who knows how that will lead to huge success for them in different ways for ventures that they want to explore. For you to continue to make an impact for you in these next few years, what does that look like? I don't know. I was talking with a colleague today. Our superintendent just retired. And in her retirement letter, she said part of the reason she was retiring is because of how political our school board has become. And my colleague was just talking about who she thinks is going to be the new superintendent and how that's going to impact us. And I said, I can't do that. I can't play that game. I've just got to come into work and do the best I can today. And today I'm going to give my 100% effort with what I have in front of me. And that question of where am I in three or five years? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I can't even begin to guess. But what I do know is that every day I'm going to show up and I'm going to really just try to be there for the kids that are in front of me and know that if I do that, whatever happens will be good in some way. And if it's not, the next day I'll come back and I'll try harder and do better. And I honestly, I have no idea where I'm going to be. I think that's a nice response for a lot of us. I actually connect well with that. I keep my head down and try to do my best every day as well. And the future just presents itself. So that's a really cool way to wrap up. And I think an awesome answer to that question. But I also want to make sure that if there's anything else that you would like to add for listeners that we didn't ask or that you're dying to share or just some closing remarks, we would give you some time for that. You know, I would just say the greatest thing that my administrators did for me, especially at the beginning, was they said yes. And not like, oh, you want to do this innovative thing, just like do it right away. But it was more like, I want to go to a conference. Yes. How can we make that happen? I'll get you a sub. I'll pay for the fee. We'll help you with transportation. I wanted to do this with some other colleagues. And so then they would give us time during the school day to meet. And I just always felt so supported and not stifled. Like you were saying, I am a risk taker. I'm also a little bit risk averse. I like to plan everything out. So I know that the risk is really limited by the time I take that big leap or jump. But I just felt like they had my back and they supported me. As we were implementing this, I obviously had to bring it to my department. And I felt very prepared because I'd had all these conversations with my administrators before I walked into my department and said, here's what I'm going to do. Same thing with when I presented this to the school board. I knew that they were there having my back, like literally being behind me, but also just metaphorically because we'd had all these conversations and I knew that they supported me. They're not micromanaging, but when I need them, they're there. And I couldn't ask for anything more in a boss, in a leader. And I think that I'm just really, really grateful that I had that support. This would not have been possible if I was in a school where I didn't have that. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for the advice. Administrators, please heed that. We have to say no so often to the community, to our students, to our staff. Whenever we can say yes, the answer absolutely has to be yes. This has been fantastic. Again, you heard it here, folks, on Focus Ed, Elizabeth Jorgensen. Everyone, how about A live round of applause and a virtual round of applause for those who are in our room here with us and online. Thank you. Thank you. And if anyone does have questions or if they want to connect or if they want any more information, please do email me, jorgensene at arrowheadschools.org. 
That's great. That's generous. And we'll also link to your website and to your Twitter account and to all of your books in the show notes. This podcast was brought to you by the Delaware Academy for School Leadership, the Delaware Department of Education, and the Schoolhouse 302. Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, and books to read. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then, stay focused. Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.